it is very strange. Growing up, we never, like, when my mom would pack us Lao lunches for school, I would try to hide my food because I was embarrassed. I mean, it is ugly, delicious food. And a lot of kids, you know, they'd have, I mean, we'd still eat the normal things like chicken nuggets and peanut butter jelly sandwiches and Lunchables and things like that, which we loved. But, you know, like I said, there were times where we couldn't afford things like that. So my mom had to make do with what she had. And so growing up, we were always embarrassed by like the smell of our food, the look of our food. And now to see it being trendy, it's awesome. And it's like, wow, people are finally you know, enjoying it the way I enjoyed it. And I don't have to be embarrassed anymore. No one has to be embarrassed anymore by the look and the smell of the food, because I think with social media and the power of social media and the power of food writers like Lori and other people who are just blogging about it or vlogging about it. I mean, there's so many YouTube channels now that are showcasing all of these different varieties of Korean food, Thai food, Lao food, and even just the smaller, I guess, countries like Nepal and their food and all kinds of stuff like that, Indian food. So it's nice to see just all of these, the underdogs of the culinary world finally come to light where people are like, wow, what is this? This is awesome. This is new. This is adventurous. And I want to try it. Hello, and welcome to Food Crush, the On Milwaukee podcast for people who eat. As always, I am your co-host, Matt Miller, culture editor at On Milwaukee, and I am joined, as always, uh, well, joined digitally speaking, I should say, joined digitally uh, by my co-host, Lori Frederick, dining editor at On Milwaukee. How are you doing today, Lori? I'm I'm doing pretty well. I'm do- I'm doing better. Like we've we've been yeah. recording podcasts today now, and originally it was kind of a Monday. And I don't yeah. know. I'm in a great mood now. Podcast, I feel really bad. Actually, I feel good about it. Yeah, recording podcasts I, is apparently therapeutic. Yeah. So. Well, I started our last podcast yelling at people for not wearing masks. Literally yelling at people for not wearing masks. Yeah. And now, in the middle of that podcast. Uh, Milwaukee See? passed the mandate saying that masks, uh, mm-hmm. you got to wear them. You got to wear them indoors now. So now I yeah. hopefully shouldn't have to yell at people anymore. Plus, uh, yeah, that's I've, good because I'm relying the mayor is probably going to pass this. He he's pretty much said that. This, and if he so. doesn't, he will become the most wanted man in the city of Milwaukee. <laughs> um, and then before we started this, I found out about the squirrel jam scandal, which is my new favorite news story of the year. Yes, uh, yes. And it's taking all of my self-control to not turn this into a squirrel jam conspiracy podcast uh if you want that i'll be starting that on uh, stitcher by myself it'll just be me talking jam because i could see talking about the squirrel jam fiasco for you know an hour or so but maybe not any longer than that not for days yeah i I disagree i could milk this for a full year (laughs) all right well well you go and do that i'm not going to join you yeah Uh, you know while i'm working on that Lori, why don't you introduce our guest, who is not has what nothing to do, do with that? the girl, who so, has nothing to do with the squirrel jam scandal. No, no, we have much better things to talk about. Than we really avoca- do avocado F- toast. And yeah, fuck off, squirrel. I got no, I got jam. no business with you, squirrel. And, and and yeah, we're gonna we're gonna come back to to this real place, like not far off in L.A., where all sorts of weird things happen. And they know, name their restaurants like after jam. after rodents, so, but cutely. But like in trendy ways, they spell the it like, yeah, yeah, they spell it like it's a like a social media platform, right? It's yeah. awful. Anyways, no, introduce our guest. So, anyway, so we are here today. I'm so I'm actually so excited about this conversation um, because this is as close as I've gotten yet to meeting 
Victoria Sithi. I'm saying your name right, Victoria. Yeah, yeah yes. that's correct. She, uh, uh, Victor- for, for the listeners, she just did a little raise the roof uh, in her little Zoom box. <laughs> this podcast is yes. my favorite already. Yes. <laughs> but so I met Victoria via phone. <laughs> well, maybe via, was it via phone, via email? Email. Um, yeah. Just a couple of weeks into the shutdown for the COVID-19 pandemic, um, because Victoria and her family were really gutsy. And they've been working for a long time to open a restaurant called Sweet Basil. And they did it two weeks into the pandemic. And I was excited about this. I had kind of seen rumors and I happened, well, and I also happened to know your cousin, Alex. Um, yes. who had been posting about it. And so I got a hold of you guys and I'm just like, wow, this is great. I think this was the first news that broke in the Milwaukee area about a restaurant kind of opening. I was you know, going to say, Lori, that must have been very exciting for you to write about a restaurant <laughs> opening was. for once as opposed to, because that was back in the day, like that was back so, early on where like every day was like new announcements yeah. each day. It was of, early like, on. We didn't know how long this would last. We didn't think it might last this long. Um, and three months I, later, I was fairly certain that my job, like what was I going to do besides, you know, create a a dining guide of telling people where they could get carry out, you know, like, like what was, so it was an exciting yeah. day for me. Anyway, so we are here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're having, and we're having this as a zoom call. So I can actually see Victoria this time, which is why I'm excited about it. Um, <laughs> and um, like I said, it's as close as we've been to actually like meeting in person. And yeah. so the next time we will meet in person. So, yes. Right. So it's so optimistic of you to- thinking <laughs> that. <long. laughs> this has got to, you know, this has got to go away sooner or later. But so, welcome. Thank you, Victoria, for coming and talking to us. And um, yeah. I'd love. To, can I? Can what? I ask? I'd love to know Please. right off the bat. I mean, opening a restaurant. Let, let's just go straight to the, like the obvious thing. Opening a restaurant in the middle. Opening of a, a restaurant is hard. To hard begin enough, with. yeah. Yes. Like Much COVID less. aside, it's already <laughs> yes, like a big, right? already a big, deal, <laughs> and then all yes. of a sudden the world is like, guess what? Surprise outbreak. <laughs> what was your thought process? Like, were you like, can we still do this? What? How do we go about this? What? What was? What were you kind of thinking through all of this? I'm not gonna lie, we were all in a panic. <laughs> we were like, <laughs> of course, <laughs> you know, we were so close to the finish line, and you know, after we were. Su- supposed to open in November of 2019. And then due to construction delays and just issue after issue, it's one of those construction nightmares where you knock out a wall and all of a sudden black mold and you're like oh dang (laughs) squirrel jam everywhere (laughs) exactly so it's just one thing after another after another and we were just drained uh both mentally emotionally and financially so when we say we put blood sweat and tears into this place it's absolutely true and then come January, February, we're like, all right, we, we have to open. And then March happened. And that's when, you know, the news reports start coming out and things are just unfolding and no one really knew what to think. We're just like, all right, uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of waiting it out. And then, um, come April, we were like, you know what? 
this might not get better. It could get better. We don't know, but we have to kind of just do it. And so my family and I had a meeting and we're just like, what do we have to lose? I mean, we are already in debt (laughs) and we're we're done now with the construction. So we can either sit here and continue to pay rent and pay bills and not open, or we can open and just go for it and just see what happens. And it was incredible. I honestly was surprised at the amount of excitement that people had when we opened. Um, and honestly, I was just ex- excited that people were excited. I mean, we were excited, but then seeing other people outside of our family get excited, we're just like, oh my God, we're excited. You're excited. <laughs> so it was, it was tough. Um, yeah. and right before opening too, you just don't know the reception that you're going to get. People could sit there and say, oh my God, you guys suck or <laughs> this is terrible. What are you thinking? But the outpouring of support and love that we received after we opened was just mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I have to wonder if it's almost better to have opened in the kind of condition you are you were in, where it's like the stage was yours, like there was no other restaurants opening or anything yeah. like that. Like, <laughs> it, and uh, all the news stories were so negative at the time because it's like you know everything's shutting down, all this, all this stuff. And to read something that's positive, to read good news about something opening up, that gets people's attention. As opposed to if you had opened back when you expected in 2019, yeah, it could have ended up just being you know another restaurant opening, right. and now it's mm-hmm. it was this kind of light at the end of the tunnel. It seemed yeah. at the time it was like a positive anomaly, I think, and I think that a lot of people resonated with our story. It was a really good, it is a really good underdog story where it's like, wow, this small local family just pulled together and made it happen, and it very much is the American dream. Um, we talk about that a lot in our family because, you know, I'm first generation and my parents came here when they were very young and they had nothing when they came here. So it's, it's definitely, I think a story that resonates with a lot of people and the fact that, you know, it's just determination, like Lori said, and guts (laughs) and (laughs) doing the impossible. It, I think it, that's inspiring to a lot of people. Yeah, I'd love to learn more about that story. So was was cooking something that you always wanted to do from growing up or was this something you kind of grew into? I think that it was always a part of our family culture. <clears throat> Excuse me. The way that our family was, it we always had family dinners. We always ate together. <clears throat> we food in our culture is our love language. So my parents growing up, they were very tough love. We weren't like an affectionate family or anything like that. And they worked day in and day out to provide for their children. And my mom, she came here, she didn't know a lick of English and she went to school and she tried her best. And when they would come home, they made it a thing. We always had to have family dinners together and we would talk about our day or they would ask us, what did you guys learn in school today? How was school today? And so that was a very big part of just our family culture and just our culture in general. And then it evolved from that into my mom and grandmother teaching us, all of our siblings, how to cook for ourselves. Because to them, that wasn't like, oh, like happy memories. It was like, you're going to learn how to cook for yourself because when you grow up, no one's going to cook for you. (laughs) (laughs) You have to learn this. It's a very very realist approach. Yeah, no. and, And that is very real. And I often wonder, like, how parents can get away with now like 
not teaching kids. Well, as someone who like, hasn't been taught how to bit. cook, Lori, let me tell you, it's really easy. It's called Hot Pockets and <laughs> yes, macaroni and cheese. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. <laughs> so, did your parents, did your parents cook? Matt, I just, uh, yeah, small diversion. Are, are you asking me about how I've been raised? <laughs> I mean, I, I've well, always I been interested. I've always, obviously, I'm here. I'm on a mm-hmm. cooking slash food podcast, so yes, I have to have some interest. Yeah. Uh, but I always had an interest in cooking, and my, my parents cooked. My, my dad now does a lot of cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom does a lot of cooking. Um, and it was just, but it was never like something that was like the bring the kids into the kitchen, you're going to learn how to cook. Um, I, a part of me wishes that I'd, I did get more of that because now I'm just so I'm such a control freak about cooking. That's that's like my hold up on cooking is I have a hard time being freewheeling in the kitchen and like if something starts doing something I don't expect, I don't naturally like. Oh, okay, this is fine. I can work with this. My immediate reaction is like, ah, fuck, burn it all down. <laughs> um, so so yeah. I, I wish I was better though because when I do cook and I, I really and it turns out right. I really like it. It's really satisfying to have made food uh, of your own doing. And I really enjoy cooking. I mean, Great British Baking Show has been getting me through uh, this quarantine and other food shows like that. So I, I, I enjoy it. But it was never a, you must learn how to do this or else you will <laughs> you will, yeah, you will you will be mal- malnourished and, and dead. <laughs> but yes. yeah, I, yes. I, now I, I'm... I'm I, yeah, but I mean, food is, I, I love dinners were important in our family. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. we, we, that, that, that aspect of the kind of food being a love language is, was in my, fa- in, in my language, in, in my family too, where it's like dinner is where you meet and dinner is sacred time on, on, on a level. Put down, that put has down been, your phone. That has been Matt talks about his family history so, and cooking ones. Yeah. It only no. took like 100 episodes, Lori, but we finally dug into we it. We finally did. We did. There are, oh, there are other secrets to unearth, I am sure. So I want to I I go back just a little bit. Like, we should tell people what sweet basil is. Yeah. <laughs> In case, like, you know, we've gone through this whole restaurant thing. It got started on the story. Um, but you, so you guys opened and you serve primarily, like, talk about it, I guess. Yeah, we serve primarily Thai and Lao food. Uh, there's a huge emphasis in our menu on street food that is commonly found in the night markets of Thailand and Laos. And we wanted to bring that because we felt that that was, it's up and coming in a lot of other places. Um, you see places in Dallas and Atlanta and in LA popping up with the street food style. And so to bring it to Wisconsin, that was always something we wanted to do. Street food, I think, is what we like to eat at home. We're always making those dishes at home um, and not so much like the noodles and the, the curries and things like that. So that is something that means a lot to just myself and my siblings and my family. Uh, I talked earlier about how we're always grilling out and things like that. So that's kind of like our style. That's our favorite thing to make. It's our comfort food. So being able to create a menu that highlights and emphasizes that street food style Asian food is like our dream come true. We have a lot Mm -hmm. of skewers and grilled meats and we have our own sausage that we make in-house. It's our Lao sausage. And I highly recommend it's very similar to a brat, but made with Asian herbs and spices. And we make a lot of other kind of fried dishes like egg rolls and crab rangoons. And then we also have a lot of 
Asian American fusion dishes. One of our more popular items is the buffalo chicken crab rangoon. A lot of people are like familiar with regular yeah. crab rangoon. And so to see something as Wisconsin as buffalo chicken dip inside <laughs> yes. a rangoon, they're like, this is awesome. I was going to so, say that authentic, yeah. that, that authentic Lao ingredient of buffalo sauce. Good old buffalo <laughs> chicken. <laughs> right, right. Was, was right. that something that was always a part of the plan for the restaurant? Or was that something where it was like, we need to meet... American eaters halfway and Wisconsin eaters halfway and be like, here, here's something you might recognize, but also some of our culture. And hopefully this brings you closer to trying different things. I think that that was an unintended benefit of helping us bridge the gap between people who have never had our food and people who really love American food. But Initially, when we created it, it was just something that my siblings and I experimented in our own kitchen. When mm. we would make dishes, we would just kind of like add our favorite American things to our Asian things. Mm. And so when we came up with these ideas, we we're like, we have to put it on the menu because it's awesome and it's one of a kind and no one's going to find this anywhere. <laughs> so yes. we, it, we didn't intend it to be one of those things where it's like, oh, let's, let's add it for this reason. It was just one of those things that we made and we thought it was so cool. And we're yeah. like, it's actually, <laughs> yeah, it's actually this really amazing sort of story. Like this is how food works. You know, mm-hmm. you can you grow up eating things and eventually, you know, you experiment yeah. and, and think things fuse together and you're feeding, you know, these are the things that you eat at home. These are the, and yeah. now you're, they're delicious. So you're sharing them <laughs> with other people. Um, and I, I loved that kind of about it is it wasn't like, oh, we're not doing fusion just to be different, you know. Right. You know, we're yeah. doing we're doing some really we're doing some common things because you guys do have things like curry on your yeah. menu some common yeah. things that people are familiar with um, particularly you know that they're familiar with through the Thai food arena yep. and then we're introducing some things that people don't necessarily aren't necessarily as familiar with um, yeah you know, like street foods from Laos um, I think I think one of the great things is like Lao food is getting is getting some attention now, which I don't think it had, you know, maybe, I mean, 10 years ago, you know, you would see a lot of Thai restaurants Mm -hmm. and and there's so many Thai restaurants that are actually owned by Lao people. Yes. Um, Yeah. So what you saw is a lot of, a lot of Thai food or what, and a lot of Lao food that people mistook for Thai Yes. Food, you know, and a, and a lot of foods that overlap in both countries. So it was, I think it was pretty difficult unless you were very educated about the differences, you know, right. to know that. And I, I don't think most American people made those distinctions. Um, so you kind of come in, you're coming into this at a time when I think people are really getting more and more curious about yeah. Lao cuisine. And they're at a point where they're prepared to see different and new things, you know, um, maybe something a little bit more adventurous than what they've tried in the past. Um, and then you tack on this like new wild fun part about it. And it's like, okay, these, this is what a Lao family, you know, with children who grew up in America, this is what, you know, we're eating and what we're playing with. (laughs) This is what we're messing around with. (laughs) A question that I never asked you is like, what is your mother and your grandmother? Like, how did they react to that? To our creations? You know, because <laughs> yes. yes. you know, they're, they're probably a little crazy in comparison to a more yeah. traditional preparation. My mom was all for it. She 
is actually where we get a lot of our experimentation from because she is that type of person as well where you know growing up we didn't have the most money and so she had to make do with a lot of um, just things we had in the fridge so sometimes if she just had rice and like hot dogs in the fridge she would make like hot dog fried rice so mm-hmm. that's kind of where we got a lot of the experimenting kind of style from is seeing my mom just make do with the ingredients that she had because we couldn't afford you know ingredients or groceries sometimes and so mm-hmm. then growing up and her teaching us how to cook she instilled that in us as well like just you don't need all kinds of crazy ingredients like you can make a good meal with what you have so when we started just experimenting then later with what we had, you know, as we grew older and we went to school and got jobs and now we're able to afford better ingredients. <laughs> and we were finding things that we like to infuse that in the classic recipes. She was all for it. She's like, that's awesome. And my grandmother, she doesn't really understand. My grandmother is very <laughs> traditional, very an OG. <laughs> and <laughs> when we would tell her things, she'd just be like, why? <laughs> why, why are you, you doing that? <laughs> Yeah, why would you do that? And we're like, because it's so good, Grandma. And she'd be like, okay, <laughs> yeah. all right. <laughs> well, yeah, because that's sometimes the what you expect, you know, from parents or like generations back. I mean, I think, you know, especially, well, and especially it makes sense that your grandparents would have that reaction because I think grandparents are always, you know, kind of shocked, amazed, and sometimes intrigued by what, you know, what the young people (laughs) are doing. And I'm not a grandmother yet, so I'm not sure I quite understand that, but someday I will be that grandmother and I'll be like, what are all the youngins doing? Well, I I think there is some, you you read stories and hear stories sometimes about, you know, these these restaurants and it's just like they they don't want to lose that their their culture and their heritage in the mm-hmm. translation, and they don't want that the like to 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 assimilate to a level that it, it's the the original culture's lost. And I know mm-hmm. there there can be that tension sometimes of yeah. of 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 that of that kind of cultural interaction. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's really cool that your your parents seem so awesome. So like, <laughs> yeah, of course, do that. That's. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. I would say that's like the hardest thing about trying to preserve and promote our food and our culture is trying to make it as authentic as possible, but also trying to invent it and reinvent the wheel and make fresh ideas and new ideas so that it is interesting and it's, it is relevant in today's like mm-hmm. food culture. Um, I think well, with Thai food as well, the yeah. evolution of Thai food is, you know, going from the classics and now there's Michelin star Thai restaurants that are just creating all of these new dishes using the same ingredients and the same flavors, but just yeah. again, reinventing the wheel. So it's really cool to see. And yeah. even just as a restaurant owner, just, you know, wanting that creative space to, you know, like I want to try new things. Like I don't want our are what what are like being a Lao restaurant to be like a prison and to be mm-hmm. like oh these are the dishes you can make because these right. are the traditional dishes well, well and food moves you know we talk about like things like language language changes you know the vernacular changes and and food food evolves you know it evolves in the countries the, where it has origin and it evolves here you know what we were eating in the US in 1950 is not what we're eating now, you know, and the same goes, quite frankly, for most countries globally. Um, you know, some things I think you cling to like some staple things and ingredients, but food changes. And, and I think that, you know, when people, cause people talk a lot about, um, well, I've, I've gone out 
and and stated before that I don't love the word authentic when it comes to using for food. Yeah, like, authentic. Authentic <laughs> is like you can use that like for a Gucci bag. Like is this an authentic <laughs> yeah. Gucci bag? But like every family has a take. Yep. You know, I mean, whether you come from an Italian family or an allow or yeah. a Lao family or a Thai family or a Chinese yeah. family or it's anywhere, like, ugly, like yeah. everybody's got their own version. Yep. So like, which one is the authentic, the real, you know, because when we yeah. say authentic, we mean real, you know, yeah. and everybody's version is real, you know, well, it's, it's like that ugly, is- ugly, delicious as that episode where uh, I'm forgetting the, the host's name now. Um, I'll, I'll remember. Michael, I'll, I'll, Michael Chang. Michael Chang, thank you. Yeah. Um, but he has that episode where he's like, for me, Domino's pizza is great. Like, that's authentic to me because that's what I was grown up on. And those are the flavors that I recognize as pizza. And I'm well, sure if he this, was. This coming from a man who says he doesn't like pizza, but he likes Domino's pizza. Yeah. So, so but know. it's just like, it's yeah. just interesting, like the, wh- what you grow up with. Like, it's, we, we talk about this where <laughs> like chicken noodle soup, everyone has their own idea in their head of what good chicken noodle soup tastes mm-hmm. like because we've all grown up with a different mm-hmm. a different kind of that. And and so like to be like no that's what authentic chicken noodle soup tastes like or no that's what real yeah. chicken it, it it can't be done because everyone's definition is kind of different. And yeah. every culture has a chicken soup, a chicken exactly. noodle soup yeah. too. So, yeah. In fact, the, the, there's a there's a few in Lao culture. Mm-hmm. That are super delicious, maybe more so. <laughs> the American version. Yeah, um, I totally agree. Though I feel yeah. like you know when when people talk about Lao restaurants and Thai restaurants and stuff like that, we never like to put ourselves in competition with other Lao restaurants or Thai restaurants because to us, if Lao food is winning, we're winning. It doesn't matter if we're not number one. If there's another Lao restaurant that is considered better than us, then we're not in competition with them because, like you said, Lori, each family has their own variations of these recipes that have been passed on from generation to generation, just like Italian food. There's always going to be, you know, people who say my grandmother's recipe is the best. So it all Mm -hmm. comes down to just, you know, if Alfredo is Alfredo, it's Alfredo. And so (laughs) when people say like, this one's the best, I think that it definitely comes down to, you know, personal experience. And we never like to, like I said, compete with other Lao restaurants because we respect their recipes. And there mm-hmm. might be some people who try one Lao restaurant and then come to ours and say, you know, we don't like the way you guys make this, or we think that, you know, yours is too salty or yours is too spicy. And, you know, we try to tell people like this is the way we make it. This is our recipe. And I know that you've had it differently elsewhere, but we're not trying to recreate that experience. We're not trying to copy that style or that family's recipe. We're trying to display and promote our own. And at the same time, yeah, you're really, you're showcasing the diversity, you Mm -hmm. know, of, of flavors and versions. Um, And I've seen that, you know, the, the great thing about that is if you've tried something like, and I'll, I'll, I'll pick kind of low hanging fruit, but like a papaya salad. If you've tried the papaya salad from one place, you can be sure that the next papaya salad you try, you know, if you didn't like it, yeah. you should try it somewhere else. <laughs> <Yeah>. Because <laughs> every version of papaya salad that I eat is so somehow amazingly different. And I like a lot of them. Like, I think I've only run across one or two versions where I'm just like, oh, maybe that's not my favorite, yeah. you know, because it has too much of one thing mm-hmm. or you know, um, 
And the amazing thing is like for someone like me who didn't grow up eating papaya salad, mm-hmm. you know, the first one you, you eat sort of gives you your, your baseline. Yeah, that's true. And I always tell people like, well, if you don't like it, go, go to a different place because yeah. it could just be like, it could just be you tried the wrong one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah. So it's inter- it's interesting to me talking about like Glory said like Lao cuisine is is very popular right now. It's a very trendy. Is it strange to hear your culture get talked about that way where it's like yeah. oh man, yeah. Lao culture so hot right now. Like it's <laughs> yeah. Zoolander yeah. or something like that. <laughs> it is very strange. Growing up, we never like when my mom would pack us Lao lunches for school, I would try to hide my food because I was embarrassed. I mean, it is ugly, delicious food. And a lot of kids, you know, they'd have, I mean, we'd still eat the normal things like chicken nuggets and peanut butter jelly sandwiches and Lunchables and things like that, which we loved. But, you know, like I said, there were times where we couldn't afford things like that. So my mom had to make do with what she had. And so growing up, we were always embarrassed by like the smell of our food, the look of our food. And now to see it being trendy, it's awesome. And it's like, wow, people are finally you know, enjoying it the way I enjoyed it. And I don't have to be embarrassed anymore. No one has to be embarrassed anymore by the look and the smell of the food, because I think with social media and the power of social media and the power of, you know, food writers like Lori and other people who are just blogging about it or vlogging about it. I mean, there's so many YouTube channels now that are showcasing all of these different varieties of Korean food, Thai food, Lao food, and even just the smaller I guess, countries like Nepal and their food and all kinds of stuff like that, Indian food. So it's nice to see just all of these, the underdogs of the culinary world finally come to light where people are like, wow, what is this? This is awesome. This is new. This is adventurous. Mm -hmm. And I want to try it. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I just want to double back on something. David Chang is the host uh, of Ugly Chang. Delicious. I was embarrassed. Sorry, David Chang. Uh, no, that's if, okay. if you're listening, David Chang, my bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> great show. Big fan of your yes. show. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> well, we've gotten on before about how we really liked Ugly Delicious. So, you know. Yeah. Anyway, you know. No offense. No offense. This is um, not an Ugly Delicious podcast. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, no, and, and talking about it, uh, you know, I'm really excited that that food culture, and I think social media does have, you know, at first it was like the Food Network bringing yeah. food consciousness to people, you know, via television. And then as people's interest grew, like now we're seeing so much, you know, and social media, I always feel it's a double-edged sword. You know, there's great things about it. And this is one of the great things is just the level at which we can engage like through pictures and conversation about different things that we might not know about. Very true. Um, And I think one of the advantages of that is that, you know, even for countries like, you know, like we talk about Italy or Mexico, where people have been aware of Mexican food, you know, in the United States for a much longer time. But we have not acknowledged things like the diversity of the cuisine. I mean, Mexico is a very yeah. large country. I was going to say, we've been aware of has, Mexican food, but that's like air quotes you know, like well, Taco yeah, Bell. You say Mexican like. food and people <laughs> think, oh, fajita, burrito, taco. And yeah. I think now we're getting to the point where we have the opportunity to really acknowledge you know, how interesting and diverse 
you know, a category of cuisine is because, you know, just because it's from one country and this, this has everything to do with like how different food is from family to family, but also like in a country like Mexico, you have different regions. Well, even in, you know, Thailand and Laos, like you have different ingredients that mm-hmm. grow in different, in different regions. regions. Yeah. And if you live to in an area where, you know, they're growing, you know, and using a lot of lemongrass, like or coconuts, or you're going to, you're going to use those versus if you live in an area where that's not as common. Um, so I think, I think being able to acknowledge the diversity in a cuisine, which I think brings richness to it is another awesome piece of all of this. So, um, I I do want to go go ahead. I I have to ask the really basic question. Uh, where did the name sweet basil come from? <laughs> sweet basil, we pulled it from, uh, because basil, Thai basil is a, an ingredient that we use in a lot of our cooking. So it was, we wanted something really simple and something that represented Thai food without being overly cheesy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and um, we wanted to convey the freshness. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing about our menu. The simplicity and the freshness is something that we wanted people to just instantly kind of link in their minds. And I think that when we chose sweet basil, that to us was like, okay, that's simple. And that's, it's literally the the thing that represents our menu is this fresh herb that is, that infuses so much flavor in a lot of our dishes. And it's something that's fresh and it's something that's green and it's something that's, you know, we can grow sustainably. And so we just wanted that one word, actually two word punch that made an impression very easily, but people can still kind of see like, okay, uh, sweet basil street eats, Thai street eats. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, it's a name that kind of doesn't bind you. Mm -hmm to particular dishes you know that's true because that's yeah. an, it's an ingredient that kind of cuts across a lot of different aspects mm-hmm. so your family this is not the first go-round like we talked about you guys opening during the pandemic but this is not your first go-round for your family and a restaurant the story that you guys told about about how you initially decided to start a restaurant you know, in the first place. And I'm, I'm shocked that a, that a family, I'm shocked with family owned restaurants because I think for families to get along and run businesses together is a really remarkable thing. You know, Thank I don't you. know. American <laughs> families either aren't very good at this. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like fighting, disagreeing, like who's going to do what? So and so is doing more work than me. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure you have your conflicts. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is really a family endeavor. It is. So, like, and I'll let you through. kind of tell that story because, you know, um, your mom, is your mom still doing most of the cooking? She is. Yeah. Or a good percentage. But mm-hmm. your mom, that's not, you know, she cooked for you guys, but that's not mm-hmm. really how what she did when she came to the no. U.S. Yeah. Um, um, like I said, she pretty much worked her whole life to help provide for us. And after, you know, I was about... 21 at the time my sister we're all two years apart my sister was um 19 and then my brother was 17 and we were kind of on that cusp of like you know I was in college and my sister was also in college and trying to figure out what she wanted to do and my brother was you know graduating high school and watching my mom work multiple jobs at a time to provide we we saw it you know burning her out and so we 
asked her, like, you know, what do you want to do? We're growing up now. Eventually we're all going to be moved out. Like, what do you want to do? And she's like, I want to open my own restaurant. And we were all like, okay, mom. (laughs) But no, (laughs) seriously, we were like, okay, like if this is what you want to do, we should do it. And you know, it was very lofty at the time because we didn't really know what all went into that. But it just sounded yeah. so easy. And we're like, you know what, if you can, you know, raise three kids on your own and do everything you did for all of our life, like we can do this. And we were very optimistic about it. And immediately she just went to the drawing board and started creating a menu and writing up what she wanted to name it and what she wanted to do. And then it was kind of our turn at that point, my siblings and I, we started working multiple jobs, um, doing odds and end things. Like my brother would fix cars for people. And then he was also working at McDonald's. And then my sister was working at Target and at the mall. And I was working multiple jobs as well as an administrative assistant for MPS actually. And then, you know, doing side jobs as well. And we saved up enough money for the down payment on our restaurant on the first one. And we opened and that one was actually in South Beloit, Illinois. So about, I think like two hours away from here. And mm-hmm. um, it was a very huge endeavor. We were very young. We didn't know what we were getting ourselves into, but we saved up enough and we're like, let's do it. And so we opened and I think we were in operation for about a year and it just, it was a lot. The building that we purchased was very old. It needed a lot of TLC and we used up all of our money to open and we didn't have enough money to fix the broken pipes, fix the cooler and the kitchen was in disrepair and the roof was leaking. And once we started obtaining quotes to fix a lot of the things that need needed fixing, for instance, the roof, we got a quote and it was like $20,000 and the the broken pipes was like $12,000. And so we're at this point where we're like, okay, do we put ourselves in debt trying to fix this old building or do we just kind of, take the L and maybe find a new location. So we took the L and we lost out on a lot of money. And then we went back to the drawing board and, you know, learned from our lessons. And I think it was, did that, you know, did that scare you at all? Or were you kind of, when you looked at it, you're like, I think we can still do this, but we've learned what we shouldn't do the next yeah. time. I think that we were scared and we did have that talk after we closed the first restaurant. Like, do we want to still do this? Can we still do this? And it was, it's kind of funny because after each restaurant, we kind of go through that um, talk where we're just like, this, this is scary. We're in debt Mm -hmm. (laughs) again. (laughs) And so finding that, that courage and that let's stick together. And this, I mean, we have nothing to lose. That's kind of like the theme. I think that we find ourselves in constantly is like, we have nothing to lose. Let's just keep pushing through because what else are we going to do? Um, and so after that first restaurant, we, we put a lot of thought into it. I think we made hasty decisions because we were just so eager to get a restaurant, not realizing that maybe we shouldn't just pick the first place that we toward <laughs> maybe we should look at all right does it have a functioning furnace does it what condition is it in so that that was a major lesson for us i think we were just so happy to have something to call our own but you that we, saved the money and worked yeah. for years yeah. it's like anyone looking for an apartment or something mm-hmm. like that you go to the first one and you're like it's perfect it's got walls <laughs> yeah. it's, it's got I roof. Live with my parents anymore. <laughs> oh, this place is incredible and then you're there for like a few months and you're like i've made mistakes yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> we joke about it all the time like now when we're looking at locations 
connections. My brother has like a flashlight and he's like looking at the plumbing and he's looking at, you know, all the ins and outs of everything. Whereas before we just walked in and we're like, I feel like this is good. Then that's it. Like it wasn't, there wasn't anything to it in the beginning, but now we're, you know, we've learned from our lessons. We know what to look for, but back then we're just like, this is awesome. Where, where do we sign? Yeah. Yeah. So your second restaurant went better than the first. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. was, was that in Janesville? Yep. I, am I remembering this correctly? Yep. Yeah. Um, and then you ran into some lease issues. Was yeah. That, yeah. It, so it was really so you, sad. Guys, you guys have kind of experienced the gamut of, you know, what happens yeah. <laughs> to people owning restaurants, you know? Yeah. Because there's all these skill sets that you need from, you know, figuring out how to how to fix your old building to, you know, negotiating, like, if you rent from someone, yeah. you know, that's a whole different ball of wax. You know, there's there's things you can't control there either. Yeah. Uh, but I, you guys had developed, like, the, the second attempt was more successful. It was. Yeah. So. I think people don't understand, like, when you say you're a restaurant owner, there's you're like your own accountant, your own lawyer, you do inventory, you have to mm-hmm. do, you have to be a jack of all trades in order to make it happen. Um, like you said, negotiating a lease, who, who, who'd have thought that that's something that you need to have under your belt in order to get off on the right foot when opening a restaurant. And then even just the terms of the lease and what you pay and negotiating price. And there's just all kinds of stuff that goes into mm-hmm. opening a restaurant. Um, but yeah, Asian Bistro was our second restaurant and we, it, it was an instant hit when we opened. I think Janesville was definitely missing that cultural kind of food. And once we opened, it was very similar to the story of Sweet Basil. Instantly, everyone was just like, this is awesome. And we built, you know, a following. I think the, the loyalty that we experienced with Asian Bistro was, unheard of. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, we had wait times on the weekends of up to two to three hours and people would just wait outside in the rain, in the cold. And that's a testament because people hate waiting. (laughs) (laughs) And also like you, you think about uh, Janesville is not a place that your mind is immediately like, this is a place that is diverse and that is going to love Foodie capital Janesville. Janesville. (laughs) Yeah. So the fact that you got that kind of following is a, you know, a tribute to, to, I mean, a tribute to them for, you know, supporting local business, but also obviously to you and to your food. Thank you. <laughs> yes, yes. And then you came, you know, you came closer because now you're in Franklin. Yep. You know, which is so much closer to Milwaukee than people <laughs> yeah. think it is. <laughs> um, and, and, and there's a great story too about how you chose that location. Yeah. We, so we grew up in Milwaukee. Milwaukee's our home. And the only reason why we ended up in South Beloit and Janesville was because we were looking for those locations that in South Beloit, it was a location that we could afford with what we had. And then in Janesville, it was a location that fit the bill of what we were looking for um, because obviously we were trying to be smart with uh, the place that we chose. And then when it came to Franklin, it is the place that we wanted. And it's kind of a little bit of everything where it's a place that we can afford, a place that fits the bill, and then also in the location that we wanted. And it's a dream come true, honestly, for my mom. She, we grew up in Milwaukee and we spent a lot of our life um, shopping, eating, and hanging out on 27th Street, Layton Boulevard. We grew up on the South Side. So 
we would always, you know, hang out at Leon's on 27th Street. And my mom, she worked in the area uh, at St. Luke's and things like that. So that's kind of just like our old stomping grounds. So to be able to even look at locations on that street was huge for us. It was monumental history in the making for us. And so it was a real big honor, I think, for my mom to finally come back to the place that she calls home and the place we all call home and the place that we all grew up. And then to be able to find a location on the iconic 27th street was huge for her. And we didn't think that we would find anything on that street. We were just like, you know, there's a lot of places we're going to look at them, but if they don't fit the bill and if they don't, if it's not something we can't afford, then we're going to have to pass it up. So we knew going in that even though it would be emotional, we would have to do the right thing financially and for the business. And so once she found this location, again, it was like the first time where she's like, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, not in good condition it was old it wasn't very well taken care of and we're just like "Mm, we're gonna have to think about this we're gonna have to do a little bit of digging and then it ended up being something that we could do and we're like all right it's gonna take a lot of work but we can do it we can remodel it we can renovate it um and it could go one of two ways it can be awesome and be everything (laughs) that we hope it's going to be or it can be like the first restaurant where we could bite off more than we can chew and it can put us deeper into debt because the unexpected costs can just keep going up and up and up. Yeah. But, but so far, so far, so good. (laughs) So far, so good. (laughs) (laughs) So you had achievement, you know, I mean, and, and it's, it's tough to say because, you know, I mean, your business is still very young, you know, I mean, you're, you're just a few months in, you haven't quite made it, you know, to the one year mark, let alone Mm -hmm. the five year mark. Um, but just judging, um, you were you were saying before that, you know, despite when you opened, well, one of the things that you didn't, I, I'm I'm all over the place here, <laughs> but one of the things that you you anticipated, like having having a small restaurant, yeah, you know, obviously that was you know largely fueled by carryout, yeah. Um, and so, because your restaurant is not is not huge, so it's not not like there are a lot of seats on the inside anyway. Yeah. But one thing that you did, um, because you opened during the pandemic, was you decided that you would offer delivery. Mm-hmm. Had you ever done that before? We did offer delivery at our first uh, two restaurants as well. And so we weren't planning on offering delivery at Sweet Basil. We kind of just wanted to be like a a quick casual place where people can come in and order and get their food to go or dine in at the seven tables that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, But due to the landscape that coronavirus brought on in the, the food scene, we were like, we have to, we have to provide delivery. And as of right now, we currently don't, do delivery, but for the first like two to three months when we first opened, we did offer delivery, and that was something that we had to adapt quickly to. And we we thought that, that it was very helpful. A lot of people were just like, you know, we're really grateful that you guys do deliver, and it was mm-hmm. well received. So yeah, it was a good move. Yeah, well, and it probably introduced some people to you that wouldn't have otherwise. So so you've been able to do well even without delivery at this point. Yeah, we actually had to cut delivery out. We didn't want to, but it just made more sense because the deliveries would take a while and it would take staff away from Mm -hmm. our operations. So we kind of tried it for a week where we were like, let's see how we can operate without delivery for a week. And if it makes more sense and 
then we'll cut it out. And so we tried it out for a week and we found that we were more efficient with all hands on deck to help with the curbside and answering the phones and making sure that orders were being well packed. I think Mm -hmm. when we were dividing our attention uh, in between curbside and delivery, it was much harder for our team to coordinate. We had to separate, okay, this one's delivery, this one's curbside. And then just being in the small space that we are, it was very difficult to kind of navigate both those uh, services. So eliminating delivery, although we did lose out on that uh, clientele, it helped us improve our operations to provide better curbside service and we're making less mistakes now because they're able to focus on that, mm-hmm. that aspect. Yeah. So, so I guess one of, one of the questions I have for you, what's next for you guys? Like, I mean, you guys are, you guys are kind of right now just kind of starting, but you had kind of big plans and a vision for kind of um, where you plan to go with this, you know, if everything, and if everything goes well, like, like where are you, What kinds of things are you looking forward to doing? We have a lot of ideas in the works right now. We're really excited. Um, We're talking with my cousin, Alex. He kind of wants to do like a collaborative sap sap slash sweet basil event. So we're coming up with some pretty cool ideas for that menu. But then obviously um, sap sap events, they are, they've always done like sit down dinners. And so that was the original idea, but um so we're still kind of weighing that idea. I'm not sure how we're going to do it yet. Otherwise, we might just do kind of like a limited time menu in collaboration with them and then offer it for curbside because um, that's kind of what they've been doing with their menu. They, they've been doing, you know, their fried chicken sandwiches and yeah, their so ribs. They've been, they've been toting that famous <laughs> fried chicken banh mi yeah. all over. Well, and Matt, you remember because we interviewed, we interviewed Alex Oh, and so, I've I've, I've and driven he, to know, Racine for Sap yes. Sap, during, yes. during, so and good. it's it's very good. But also, it's like one of those things. Where it's just like that's the only time I've been to Racine, maybe in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> and I've, oh, like so that that's committed. I'm very happy that you know sweet basil is is closer, is significantly <laughs> closer. And also, yes. whenever Sap Sap is like, they were at a uh, Lucky Ginger, I yeah. believe, a week or two ago, and I was like, thank yep. God for that. Yeah, so they just, yeah, they've done it a few times. They're they're really making um, good use of the pop up concept because they don't have a restaurant at all. So right, yeah. Sap Sap is like this funny little floating food concept, and, yeah. and Alex doesn't really want a restaurant. It makes me know? feel very trendy to order <laughs> so, from there to be like, oh, you know, there's this pop up that I'm into. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I get there and then I get my jam from Squirrel. Uh, <laughs> Had to bring it full circle. It had been a whole forty-five minutes since I've made a reference. Squirrel jam, right? So, so, so I have to ask: Do you have a favorite dish of at Sweet Basil to to make or in concept? Is it the the buffalo chicken crab ragoons, or is there something else on the the menu that's like a personal favorite of yours? Yes, my personal favorite is the OG platter. Um, that's something that we created because my siblings and I were the type of people where if we go out to eat, we order a little bit of everything. Like we will <laughs> want to try everything. Cause we're like, when's the next time we're going to come back? Even though we know <laughs> we're going to come back. We're just like, we got to, you got to have that. You got to have a salad. Well, you got to have a you soup. Have to know, you have to know what you want to order the next time. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, if we don't like that. We don't have to waste our time. Let's yeah. get it all in. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with leftovers either. So we're just like, ah, let's get it all. And the, <laughs> we're just, we like to eat 
everything with everything. And it's the weirdest thing, but it's just like how we've always done it. And I think that our culture has a lot to do with that. Um, we always eat family style at home. So my mom will make like a, a big old bowl of soup and then a rice dish and then a vegetable dish. And then like you kind of just put it in the middle of the table and everyone just has their own dinner plate. And then you kind of scoop things up and just kind of mix it. It's like Thanksgiving dinner. You just kind of have like this plate full of everything. And like you're eating, <laughs> you know, crab rangoon with like fried rice. And like, it's just the way we've always done things. So when we go out to eat at places, especially Asian places, you can't really get a little bit of everything unless you're ordering everything a la carte. So when we created the platters, that was something that we're just like, there's gotta be, gotta be people out there who are just like us where they want to order a little bit of everything, but you just can't unless you're literally ordering everything. So the platters <laughs> were created to cater to that kind of style where it's like, Hey, you can order this platter and literally get all this stuff and it's you don't even have to feel bad because then it's not like you're ordering eight things you're ordering you're one not thing. ordering eight <laughs> full entrees that yeah. you eating for a week yes. all of the food none of the guilt I yeah. like it <laughs> so the platters are my favorite because that's again something that we grew up eating when we would have our family barbecues or our family dinners we would just have a little bit of everything you got your meat you got your sticky rice you got your papaya salad and you got like pork rinds and it's just like this smorgasbord this like loud smorgasbord of stuff that you can just like <laughs> eat all in one sitting by yourself or with other people but um so that's my favorite thing on our menu is the og platter um but everything else too is just like you can't go wrong you really can't <laughs> go wrong um I, a lot of people really like the gel bong fried rice that's been like a huge customer favorite. And that's something that um, we actually created ourselves too. Gel bong is just like this spicy chili dip that you would take things from the street menu and just kind of dip into it. Or a lot of people will take their sticky rice and dip it into the gel bong dip. And so we decided to just like dump a whole bowl of this into <laughs> our fried rice and like mix it in together. And a lot of people really like it. Yeah. That's impressive because I mean, spice and spice and Wisconsin taste palettes are not famous for getting along very <laughs> yeah. well. But oh, that's but cool. I think, I think I think we're coming along. Well, I, I think I, you know, I think also there's yeah. this there's this whole generation group of people who like spicy food, but there's mm -hmm. just never really been spicy food. Whether we mean hot food or just you know food that has a lot of spices in it mm -hmm. in Wisconsin, and now and now that's changing, and now there's there's more places to get these these kinds of dishes. That you know that challenged the palate, that challenged the Midwestern palate a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, well, and that's all very one exciting. of the things we discussed is like you guys have a scale, yeah, a, a heat scale. <laughs> we did. I asked you about it because I'm like, okay, is it a like an American Midwestern <laughs> heat scale or is this a a Lao heat scale? Like, <laughs> like where does this go? And you had a great explanation <laughs> for me. Like, yeah, so so talk about your heat scale because you can get things very mild yeah you know yeah so they still have all the flavor yep we um, try to just make food as is um there are some things like obviously the gel bong fried rice that comes already with a kick um same for the papaya salad and other things on the menu um the penang curry the green curry those are all things that already come with a little bit of heat just because of uh, like Matt said, the spices that are used in the recipe. But we do have a scale that we use and we encourage our customers to use it. Um, it's a one to five scale, one being mild, five being like Lao style hot. Um, and then for people who don't 
really want to select a spice level, we can also provide extra chili oil on the side so that you can kind of just add in your own heat to your liking. But we find that the scale works for a lot of people. Most people come in at like a one or a two. And then if you definitely want something that has like a kick, but you can still taste your food, that's like a three. And then anything above a three, it's just like, be careful and please <laughs> have some, something to consume with it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's been pretty cool to, to see people customize yeah. their food. Well, I've, always, I've always wondered with, with Chinese mm-hmm. restaurants and Indian restaurants that have that kind of spice measurement scale, when, when you see like, a, a white person like me or my mom come in and I'm like, Oh yeah, I want a four. Do you think to yourself like, eh, he wants a three. Like, <laughs> do you so like, nice. <laughs> do you like kind of, is there like the, 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 the kind of like white people scale of spice? It's like, but the actual scale. We like to, well, it depends on who you get. Sometimes when like I take an order, if people say like, I want a four, I won't correct them because I'll be like, they're, if it's too hot for them, maybe they'll know for next time. But <laughs> I like my sister, she likes to describe things to people. So she'll say like, have you ordered from us before? Or have you gotten the four before? So she likes to kind of go that extra mile. But for me, it's kind of like, if they get a four, they're going to know what a four is. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, and, and with most places, that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know like <clears throat> I learned quickly. There's a, there's a restaurant toward the airport that that makes Thai food, and they have a scale of like one to ten, <clears throat> um, but you go much above a four, and and I feel like my spice <laughs> tolerance is pretty high. Yeah, but you, you go much above a four, and you are get we, progressively hotter. Are we thinking of the same place, Lori? We probably are. Yeah. Are you think? Are you thinking? Does it begin with a K? It does. Okay, so it's yeah, it's called Kim's Thai. Yeah, and they have some really, yeah. really amazing, delicious food. Well, I they do take away for this, but yeah. Oh no, um, they're delicious. Yeah, yeah. And, you like know, they make delicious food, but that is definitely a scale. And I, I personally appreciated that, but you know, you you learn. I mean, especially I, and I suppose because I'm a little bit more heat tolerant, it didn't. Um, it didn't bother me at all. I See, I ordered a few dishes though. I was like, wow, that is seriously. In Kendiary, like, see when, when, when me and like, Nick, when, when me and Nick went there for the Burning Through Brew City series, mm-hmm. we tried to order. I think the spiciest one, and they're like, "Nah." <laughs> so yeah. we were, yeah. They just like looked at me and Nick, and they're like, mm, no. "No, you yeah. you can handle an eight. And it was like, "Oh," and yeah. then we ate it, and we were like, "Maybe you were right." Um, <laughs> it's true. It's true. But I appreciated that because I think a lot of times places tone things down. And sometimes, you know, some people just want, you know, gotta learn. You know, (laughs) you gotta you gotta get the singe, and you gotta learn to love it. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes when it's ninety degrees outside, you want your insides to be hotter than the outside. (laughs) So, yeah. So, yeah. No, totally amazing. Yeah. Is there a dish that you're looking forward to getting on the menu at Sweet Basil? One that's kind of Mm -hmm. been like, you know, in the cooker and you're like, oh, well, maybe this one's not ready for like the opening or like maybe we need to develop people or or just, you know, that's being perfected. And now you feel like it's there. Is there a dish that's that's up and coming that you're excited about? I'm so excited you asked that. We actually just finished 
uh, a dish that has been in the works for a while. We actually made a noodle version of our jiaobang dish. Oh. It's called jiaobang noodles. So basically we take ramen noodles and we put it together in a stir fry. Mm. And then we add that bowl of jiaobang to it and stir fry it up in the wok. And that's something that we've been working for a while on now um, just because we're like, you know, people really love the jiaobang fried rice. So what if we made a ramen stir fry noodle version? And so we've been testing it um, for several weeks now and it, it kind of just had that like I don't know this is not perfect yet and just recently we're like okay this is it we got it we got it so we're actually going to debut it on the menu I think it is actually live on our menu right now we just haven't posted about it so people can order it people as can order of today it that, yep yeah. yep so <laughs> awesome. you can definitely order it and um, we just haven't had the chance to sit down and take photos of it to be able to post on our social media, but we're really excited about it. Yeah. What was the tricky part? Because I think for for an idiot like me, <laughs> like you hear that and you're like, oh, you know, you just take the fried rice dish <laughs> and you, you just take all the ingredients and you make it a noodle dish. I don't understand how, how, how could that be difficult? What was the kind of tricky part of making that translation? It was tricky for us because we already have an existing stir fry ramen dish. Mm. And so whenever my mom and stepdad would make it, it tasted way too similar to that other ramen dish. So we, because they were just so used to making that recipe that it was like automatic. They were on autopilot making this dish. And then even (laughs) though we added the gel bong, it literally tasted like that other dish with gel bong added to it. So (laughs) we're like, we got to add something different. We got to make it taste different. So we added a couple more ingredients and we took out a couple ingredients. So it was constant back and forth and just trying to figure out a way to not make it taste exactly like that other dish with Jelbong mm. added to it. So that was kind <laughs> of like, it, it wasn't like the food. It was just like our ourselves and just, they were so used to making that other dish that it was kind of, you know, turning into that dish. <laughs> mm. It's hard. I have a couple of dishes that I make that when I try to change them, they kind of, always come back to tasting <laughs> yeah. the same. And so, so I sort of get it. It like gets ingrained in you. Yeah. And you're like, okay, no, no, that's the noodle dish I make. Yep. Yeah. It's so. it's so funny. We always joke like, all right, we're going to make it different this time. And then they would make it and we'd try it and we're like, no, 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 no. no. And because my yeah. pet, they, they don't measure anything. It's all by like eyeballing oh, it. And ooh. so they're just doing it off of memory and doing it off of like, a feeling. And so we're trying to get the process written down. So we've actually sat down with my mom and my stepdad and we're like, all right, we're going to measure everything so we can have your recipes, you know, in case anything ever happens to you guys. Like we're going to, mm-hmm. like, we know my siblings and I, we know how to make the dish, but our eyeballing is different than theirs. So we've actually been sitting down with them and we handed my mom like measuring spoons and measuring cups, like, all right, <laughs> this is half a cup. And so she'd be like no no no, that's not it and then we'd like give her a fourth of a cup like this and she'd be like yeah that's the one and so like we're trying to like figure it out right now and writing down all of their recipes and all which is, of which is so smart mm-hmm. because things get lost yeah if, if they can't be handed down you know if if somebody doesn't spend the time to like get the feel for mm-hmm. what goes into a recipe that someone has made just from memory or from feel mm-hmm. for their entire lives like just they get lost and so I think it's awesome that <laughs> I think it's awesome that your mom's agreeable to that, you know. Yeah. It's not just she like, doesn't well, you know, I think someone said to me the other day, I just I just add the spices until my ancestors tell me that it's like <laughs> it's, it's, it's right. And, and I think that's a big part of cooking. Like you're carrying with you like this 
this legacy of food, you know, it's that, so true. that ends up expressed in a bowl or a, a plate or a dish. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, but passing that along in a, in a really solid way, you know, to the next, the next generation, mm-hmm. I think, especially now, you know, is it, it becomes more challenging because we don't live, you know, in the same world. Yeah. That our parents and grandparents did. So, Absolutely. Yeah. It, my mom doesn't necessarily enjoy it. She She's so annoyed with us. We're like, mom, <laughs> <laughs> you need to like measure it. And so she'll yeah. be cooking something and she'll literally just automatically go to pour in something. And we're like, no, 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 pour it in the measuring <laughs> cup. So we know, and we can write down how much you're putting in. And it just, it's, con- it's so confusing for her. Yeah. Yeah. And she, yeah. she does get caught up too. Cause she's just like, what, what was I going to do? Like I, I'm so like, it just flusters her I a little bit. I that in and then I mix it and then I add <laughs> yeah, that. And now yeah. you're interrupting me and <laughs> now I don't remember what yeah. else is. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. We're like, we're sorry. Yeah. We're totally glitching you out right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I should end with the most important question of all the questions. Where can people find sweet basil? Yes. Ooh. So we are very active on Facebook and Instagram. Our Facebook link is facebook.com slash sweetbasilmke. And our Instagram handle is also sweetbasilmke. We post a lot of really good pictures um, on both Facebook and Instagram. Otherwise, we have a lot of information on our website as well, which is sweetbasilmke.com. Our full menu is on there and you can order online as well. We actually also just completed a full um, gluten-free menu and a vegan menu for our vegan and gluten-free customers. Awesome. We uh, really like to cater to uh, people's dietary needs. So a lot of our dishes are now customizable to be gluten-free or to be vegan or vegetarian. And we have gluten-free soy sauce that we've got in stock in our inventory for our gluten-free customers so that they can still have that flavor and not have to worry about it. Um, and so that's on our online menu as well. If you look on the left side, um, there's different categories. And then at the very bottom, there's a vegan and a gluten-free menu so that you don't actually have to sort through the entire menu you can just click on that and it'll make it really easy for people that makes so, sense. so you, you don't have to just like version. keep track of all the little the little, the little gf icons. logos yeah <laughs> yeah yes. 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 which well, we had that on our uh website menu um but yeah if you go into the online menu to actually order it's like all in one place that's oh that's true. amazing that's yeah. awesome that's very smart yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Well, you guys see, you guys had this amazing online menu, like while all these other restaurants that have been around for years were struggling, like, oh my gosh, how do we get an online menu, you know, to, <laughs> to facilitate ordering? And I'm telling you, there were places, there are places that still don't, you know, don't have one and you still have to call. Um, but I think it's great. It saves times for everybody. So, yeah. Some people um, have told us that too. They're like, we're so glad you have online ordering because I just like to read and like look at stuff and change my mind and you know click through things and maybe add two things of crab rangoons without being judged over the phone and so it's like yeah no problem (laughs) how many people are you ordering for yeah yeah actually it's it's sort of funny because my husband and i will occasionally do that and it's particularly when we order chinese food that we'll order like two of something because we both just really like it or we want leftovers of it Mm -hmm. and I always laugh because we joke that you can tell by how many how many pairs of chopsticks mm-hmm. they give you yeah. and how many <laughs> and how many um, fortune cookies they give you it's how so many true. people should have been eating the meal <laughs> so like you know when we get like 6 or 8 we're like oh 
They <laughs> apparently we ordered too much, you know. And usually it's because I mean, like, so many things. I mean, I actually do enjoy eating leftovers. I like knowing yeah. that I have delicious lunch for the next two days, um, you know, or so. But but so we, yeah, we have that gaze. So we're like, oh, how many people do they think? <laughs> Sometimes happens when you order sushi too. Hmm. So that's anyway, true. That is so has, true. <laughs> It's been so, so great to have you here. And and Absolutely. I'm going to vouch. Your social media is great. Don't Thank go you. to Sweet Basil MKE on Facebook or Instagram if you don't want to be hungry. Because <laughs> you will be hungry. Too late, Lori. Um, I've already gone. <laughs> and now so, I'm hungry. So now it's time for you to place an order. Um, yeah. Yes. Anyway. Are, are you oh. open on Mondays? We're not. We're God closed on it. Sundays and Mondays. <laughs> so, tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much for being on, on the podcast with us. It was terrific meeting you. And congratulations on the restaurant and, and for, for surviving these ridiculous, ridiculous times right now. So and thank you guys. A, cho- a cheers yes, to continue with that. And, and please pass along, you know, our, our good feelings to your entire family. Um, oh, I will. Your food is delicious and it's great that you brought this to the world, even at a really, really weird time. Yeah. (laughs) And I look look forward to seeing, you know, what the future holds. So thank thank you you. guys so much for having us. My family and I, we're just so grateful. Like when I told them that I was going to be on this podcast, they're like, oh my gosh. Like we get excited about like every little thing as if it's like, you know, the first week still. And I don't, I don't know if that's ever going to go away. We're just completely grateful for these opportunities and to make relationships and become friends with people like you guys so thank you for having me no thank you thank you a great podcast i know we say that about all the podcasts but this that was a really delightful conversation that was a fun conversation i think victoria is so excited about what they're doing and and she should be it's totally contagious yeah as one who looked at the menu during this was one of those conversations where i look at the menu while we're talking and i'm just annoyed that i'm not eating the food. I'm going to decimate an order from Sweet Basil tomorrow night. Um, yeah, pro tip, everybody. Not open on Mondays. Uh, don't talk about Sweet Basil on Mondays because yeah. you'll just be angry you can't order it later. It, it, you know, it's funny, and even through all of this, I still get my most intense cravings for certain foods on days when I can't have them. No, like that's Mon- how it like always Mondays works. Like Mondays when restaurants are typically closed and some places well, like have... after hours? Has, like have, I've, I've ran yeah, into and places that. have shortened their hours. Yeah. And a lot of times it's like 8 o'clock and I'm like, oh, I could really go for that. And I'm like, oh, they're yeah. open, but they close at 8. I've run so. into that with cops. Like I'll have a craving for custard and then I'll look at the clock and they'll be like, it's 8.30 and I'll be like, god damn it. Yeah. So, yeah. but, but, uh, luckily, uh, we may not be able to order sweet basil. Well, you can, cause you're listening to this on a Wednesday, most likely. Right, right. Um, but we do at least have a food porn for you. And boy, am I excited, cause Lori, it's squirrel related. <laughs> It is. And uh, like, I don't know, you brought up squirrel and you didn't put it down. And no, so I, how so could I you? Whipped out, I whipped out my references and, and we're going to read. It's a jam Yeah. We're going to read something from the dearly departed Jonathan Gold, who is one of my favorite writers for the LA Times um, for quite a long time before he passed. And before he passed in 2012, he wrote a review of squirrel. Yes. Did he bring up the jam? Well, you might have to. You'll have to listen and find out. 
Oops. Go oh, find out. All right, Lori. Lori, read away. This is this is my favorite food porn we've ever done. And I'm starting this sort of in medias race. In that's terms right. How that's like in, in media res. In media res. No, I said, trust me. I took um I took Latin. So it's no, it's no one in, pronounces it that way. In medias race. No, stop pronouncing. No, Ugh. <laughs> this will be a debate for after the podcast. <laughs> all right, all right, but it's true. That's the, now, the true a review Latin of pronunciation for that. Written by Jonathan Gold in Medias Res. Yes, I still remember the astonishment on my first trip to Spain of stumbling into a cafe that sold nothing but toast. That toast, charcoal broiled and spread thickly with good butter, was magnificent. I was thinking about that toast the other day over breakfast at Squirrel, a sort of a sort of cafe that Jessica Coslow carved out in a tiny East Hollywood storefront. Coslow, former television producer, has become well known in the last couple of years for her exquisite, expensive, small batch jams made from local fruit and sold in handsome hand-labeled jars. And also spores of, of uh, no, go ahead. I'm just enjoying this so much. You seek out Coslow at the Altadena Farmer's Market because you never quite know when her blueberry jam with thyme is going to be sold out for the year or whether the Warren pear butter will have just come in. She's pretty masterful at capturing specific nuances of fruit, sweetness, and dust. What winemakers tend to call terroir. But the unpredictability of supply is all part of the fun. Coslow is a micro hedgehog. She captures the flavor of a season and a place in a jar. Her cafe exists to reanimate the flavors that she preserves, to display them as they ought to be displayed. Rice porridge with toasted hazelnuts and jam. Rice tossed with tart sorrel pesto and preserved lemon. Fried eggs with pureed tomatillos and house-fermented hot sauce. Just a smidge of hot sauce. When I started thinking about that toast I'd eaten in Madrid, I happened to be eating Coslow's toast. A thick slice of brioche, crisp yet crumbly, spread with a kind of mild chutney made from local Santa Rosa plums. Edge to edge, corner to corner, in a layer much thicker than anyone would dare to put down on his own. On top of the jam, like the earth's thin crust riding on its sea of magma, was a thin layer of shaved pecorino from Bellwether Farms in Sonoma, whose mellow, nutty funk sank into the tangy jam. And above that was a single slice of cooked bacon, whose provenance I forget to ask. I could have gotten a lightly fried duck egg for a buck more, if I had wanted one. (laughs) Anyway, he goes on, and the writing is beautiful. Um, Sorry, just he, just looking at the <laughs> photo of the uh, of the squirrel mold bucket because there's photo evidence of it. <laughs> so they would what they would do. I don't know if I firmly explained this, but they would get mold on the top of these jams that were left open, mm-hmm. and uh, it was from like the air conditioner, I guess. And so they would scrape the mold off these jams. And then, yeah, and that's they, probably not so much 
what the health department wants to know. No, and this was all taking place in like a little hidden part of the kitchen uh, that health inspectors had not found. And, and I'm they, looking and they, at the and bucket, and the bucket is put gross. put it in the bucket, of course. Yes, they scraped off the mold and put it in the bucket, and it is well, gross. I am Apparently the jam, despite that, was was very pleasant. Uh, the mold adds to the experience, so, I would argue. Yeah. Jonathan Gold didn't love everything about the restaurant. Ooh, um, what didn't he like? Well, he goes on. He goes on a little bit later, um, and he says... After, after talking about the beautiful jam toast that he ate, he's like, this is probably the part where I should tell you all the list, all the ways you will probably hate squirrel. You will probably end up parking two blocks away. When you yeah, get to the right. front of the line, you'll be interrogated about your order, which you are expected to have decided by glancing at the chalked menu board by a man with a pleasant yet insistent demeanor of the detective at a police station to whom you <laughs> once sport, reported a stolen iPhone. <laughs> and, and he talks about how the cafe is cramped because it really this does pl- like it has place, just a few seats. And this place sounds like know. such an LA hotspot, and nothing could excite me more than people having you know aneurysms right now over the fact that they have mold buckets from their jam. This is all delightful to me. Um, <laughs> Oh, it's satisfying, oh, I tell you. It's so satisfying. Uh, I, I wish I wish we still had Hell's Kitchen or uh, Kitchen Nightmares and Gordon Ramsay could go to Squirrel and just Britishly yell. Oh, and I'm sure he would. I'm sure oh, he would. It'd be entertaining. What is what? this? A bucket of mold! And you sound like you're from Australia. Yeah, that wasn't my <laughs> finest British accent. Let's leave okay. before I do more accents. Laurie, where can okay, people find you on that. the internet? So, people can find me at Low Frederick, where I talk about food, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Where you do not talk about food. Oh, all those places I talk about food. I, yeah, I'm my life speak. is about talking about food. So. One would hope. And you're great at it, Laurie. So. You are the best at it. I, I try. I try. Uh, and and where can we you? find? Oh, me. Well, you can find Phew. me at a man about film, where I talk about food and also other things, uh, mainly like movies, yeah. mainly film. Unsurprisingly, on yeah. um, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But don't look for me on Instagram because I don't use it. Then you just shouldn't mention it because you're not I really like, there. It's, it's, it's now my running gag. It's, Someday it's, Matt will come back to Instagram. I'm going to get a thousand people to follow me on Twitter to, and get no updates. <laughs> There we go. There we uh, go. And most importantly, where can people find Food Crush? Most importantly, yeah. Well, if you're here, you found us. But you can find us again on all the pl- in all the places where you can find podcasts, and you can also find some extra tidbits and um, alerts to new episodes and things on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we are Food Crush Pod. So you can look us up there. That's awesome. Hopefully well, find something new and interesting that you didn't find before. Yeah, hopefully. Hey, Lori, thanks for a great conversation. Hey, thank you. Thank you. And uh, and thank you, everyone, who's listened to this episode uh, and has stuck by us during these very strange COVID-afflicted times. And uh, as always, uh, keep cooking and avoid the squirrel jam. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>